Well, good morning. It's great to see you here at Disciples Church this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Joshua Kirstein. I'm the preaching pastor here at Disciples Church and honored to be so. Um, God is doing great things in the life of our family in our 131st year of gospel ministry here in Bakersfield. Um, we're in a new season in this new campus and just God expanding our borders and give us an opportunity to um, share the gospel with many and make make disciples and, and just see what he's doing in marriages and families and all around. So we're just thankful for the opportunity to make much of his name as we just sang about and to pray together, to gather together in this way, in this time. We're thankful that you prioritize being with us today and um, very thankful to be preaching through the letter of Ephesians. If you'll grab your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of Ephesians. Um, I preach out of the ESV translation, a good, strong, easy to understand word for word translation. We're in chapter four and today I'll be focusing on verse 25. Very much uh, value expositional preaching here that that uh, I've tried to put away my days of old of trying to outthink um, God's good word with clever series that are much more about what what we as preachers want to say and seeing the the, the amazing life changing power of God's word when we just preach it faithfully and so that's our desire here at disciples we're seeing amazing fruit from that uh, this letter written by the apostle Paul the divine inspiration of our holy god uh, to bring forth counsel and encouragement to the believers in the region of ephesus uh, it is a real real treat in holy scripture to get to study and be growing in this letter of ephesians in it we get to grow in our understanding of grace and peace and power that we have in christ alone and uh, what a journey it's been. Excited for what the Lord has in store for us today as we focus in on verse 25. Look at that verse with me this morning. Ephesians 4 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Because God has saved us, church, and given us a new birth and life in Christ, Scripture is clear to say we are a new creation, born again. The old is passed away and the new has come. In verse 17 through 24, Paul has called the believers to put away their former ways of living as were connected to their sinful, decrepit, depraved self prior to spiritual awakening, prior to faith in Christ. And we are to put on our new ways in Christ, now that we belong to Him, now that we have life and power in God because of Christ. A will to live righteously, no longer a bound will that only sinned unto our selfishness and idolatry outside of God. And so, again, on the heels of last week's time in this important passage, I just ask, what are you doing to put away the works of your flesh and to put on Christ every day? I mean, to really put on and live for Christ in the power of Christ every day. Christians, we're no longer enslaved to our former depravity and sin. We're empowered now by the Holy Spirit to live out our new identity in Christ. Paul has emphasized that we've come to know Jesus personally, eternally, 
This new spiritual reality for us means we can now live in Christ's power to live for God's glory and now turn away from the passions of the flesh that were once controlled by our sinful depravity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 just says it so clean. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Because we have put away falsehood that was linked to our sin, we now walk in Christ in speaking truth. This is Paul's point. And I like how he emphasizes that the putting away should not necessarily be a future ongoing thing. It is something that God's done in us. And so let us see that so that we don't have to continue to cycle back to the former identity. That as we mature in Christ, we really would have to put away less and less. Why? Because I'm not guilty of putting those old clothes on anymore. Real sanctification is happening. The old self has passed away. The new self has, is here. Church, hear this carefully. Really, really chew on this point. We need to see our identity in Christ better than we do so that we live it out better than we have. That's really the emphasis here. There are ways that any of us can be guilty of having faith in Jesus and being a part of the church, but we really are still kind of guilty of just putting on religion. And that identity in Christ and the power that comes with it is still not at work in such a way where we're really guilty and just kind of going through the cycle again and again and again. We need to see our identity in Christ better than we do, better than we have so that we can live it out better than we have. We give too much credit to the defeated power of the flesh and not enough credit to the reigning power of the Spirit. Really think about that with me for a moment. Are you guilty of giving too much credit to the power of the flesh, temptation, sin? Then you give credit to the power of the Holy Spirit, of God at work in you, Christian. May we change our course based on this understanding. So back to our verse. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Let's break down what Paul's saying here uh, in the first parts of this passage. What is falsehood, first of all? The Greek word that is translated to the English falsehood here in our translation simply means to lie. It's that simple. Pastor John Gill says it this way, a lie is a voluntary disagreement of the mind and the speech with the design to deceive. It is to speak that which is false and is contrary to the truth. It's to speak lies, to speak deception and not to speak truth. We have to see today that a lie is a lie is a lie. To lie is to sin. To lie is to deceive. It does not honor God. 
It is not holy. It is not righteous. And there are no variation of lies as our culture has wanted to teach us that there is. Have you ever heard the phrase, someone refer to something as a white lie? So we've put color on lies. And we've given them variation. There is no variation of wickedness in a lie. When a lie is told, it has no color. Therefore, the whitest lie is as dark as death. We need to see that rightly. To deceive on any level is to deceive Period. Why in our sin are we prone to lie? Why do we aim to deceive? What's the motivation there? And I really want to climb into that this morning. I feel like there's a layer here I pray you will grab hold of with me this morning. It's been a sweet week of study and preparation for today's sermon. Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 121 that although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew what was true about God, but they did not rightly honor Him or give thanks to Him. That's what He's due when you know and see the true God. Instead, they turn to what is deception. And their thinking and feeling and speaking, therefore, is darkened in sin. Paul makes this more clear in verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God, who He is, what He deserves, for a lie, they worshipped and served the creature, the creation, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. See with me that mankind's propensity and motivation to lie is really rooted, as Paul reveals here, in idolatry. That idolatry is not what we've made it out to be. We've made idolatry. When I say idolatry, you think of carved statue and wood and someone like bowing down before it and making sounds and, you know, something that's tribal. And you're like, oh, I don't struggle with idolatry. I don't have idols. I don't have shrines in my house. I would argue a much more thorough study of Holy Scripture reveals that so much of our sin struggle is idolatry. On so many layers. For idolatry really is substitution of God for something else. We find our identity, our hope, our security, our joy in something other than God. That's idolatry. That's that gross exchange that we make. That betrays what He is due because of who He is. And we look to the creation to fill us or give us our identity or our hope or our peace or instead of God. Why do you lie? Think about that with me for a moment. What's the underlying motivation to lie in a given situation? Here it is. At its core, we lie because we want something or value something more than God. If you really think about it, the weight of that, we long for something on the horizontal. We long for it so much that we will deceive or lie to either keep it or to attain it. 
Why do you lie in a job interview? Because you are convinced that you so need that job, or you're the right person for the job, that you will dishonor Christ and deceive another person to believe something that's not true in order to have it. Do you see what you were willing to do to obtain this job? It's idolatry. Why do kids lie to their parents? Because they don't want punishment. So they dishonor God and try to deceive in order to avoid punishment. They so don't want punishment that is so central to them and their joy and their happiness that they will dishonor God and lie, not value God to have it. Why do people cheat on their taxes? Because they believe their money in their pocket is better. The having of that money will bring a level of life satisfaction that is more important to them than God. So I will put on deception to have it. I'll sell out. Do you see the exchange that happens in all of these examples? I could go on and on all morning. We are setting aside the satisfaction, identity, and security we have in God alone to chase something that we believe will bring us satisfaction, identity, security more than He will. But if Christ is enough, truly satisfying, my identity is fixed in Him, my joy is in the Lord, then I don't need to lie. Because what I'll keep or what I'll gain is not better than Him. That's like really simple, but massively profound. If you are truly satisfied, secure, and firm in your identity in Christ, then you don't need to lie. You get to be radically honest. Why? Because you have Jesus. And Jesus is better than anything else you might exchange him for. This is what Paul's trying to emphasize, to say that falsehood is a part of the old man and is, is to have no part of the new man. We who belong to Christ now and have Christ, we get to live in truth. We get to be free of the lie that lying somehow benefits us. Because we've come to know and cherish and live for God. It's not just a mind game. You have the greatest thing you could have. I've been praying for you all week. I mean, this is like at work at me in this week in crazy ways. Some of you have spent some time with me this week and you have not been able to get around this. Um, to the tune of some deep, long discussions. Praise God for how it's going to work in really practical ways. And, and I just am really seeing how central and profound this is and pray that it's just game-changing for you this morning. Brother, sister who belongs to Jesus, see the demise of our hearts and our testimony when we give ourselves over to the old ways and choose to play out of the old playbook and lie. When we choose to value the horizontal thing more than what we have in God. See 
it this way. See the adultery you commit when you essentially throw God aside and pursue the horizontal thing your heart's after. To cheat, to have it. See with me that this is not a minor thing we do when we lie. We're kicking God out of the spot He most certainly deserves, which is faithful devotion to Him and truth-telling. Trust me when I say that any momentary, or I would argue even any lifelong perceived benefit that may come from lying is far less valuable or important than what you have in Christ. And where you fail to understand that is where the gospel is failing to go to work truly and fully and in through you. Please hear this. Lean in and do business with it. If you truly cherish God above all else, I don't need to lie because I have Jesus. What lying gains me or what it helps me keep is not better than Christ. So why would I make that exchange? I, I don't need to. I can tell you the truth. That truth might bring me great horizontal consequences, struggles, real persecution, real suffering. Okay, I have Jesus. It's not Jesus makes this life better. I have Jesus. I have life in Christ. And therefore I live this life for Him, with Him, by His power. Where we try to combine that is where we essentially effort to put multiple things on the altar of our hearts. And He'll share the shelf with nothing and no one. Nothing and no one is worthy to be on the altar of your heart with Christ. Everything falls far short of who He is. And so that doesn't mean we, we go pitch a tent and we learn how to drink our own urine and we get crazy. We still steward our marriage, our, our kids, our jobs, our money in a way that honors God. We just don't put on the old clothes and lie to go about it because of who I am in Christ. And some in the world might tempt you. But don't you love me? Don't you love our kids? Don't you love this job? I, I do, but not as much as I love God. So don't tempt me to betray him to do what doesn't honor him to go that direction. Because I won't. Why must we put away lying first? Because it betrays God and what he's due Honor and faithfulness and truth-telling. That's what we've just spoke of. Consider the second reason. Because of the destructive power of the tongue when used sinfully. We have to see that our words are not minor, church. They're a major influence in this life. And therefore, what we say really matters. And what we say that is untrue or deceptive or hurtful is really destructive. Paul characterizes the, the fallenness of man and describes the wretchedness of man in our sinful condition. He says this in Romans 3.13. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. 
Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Isaiah, wanting to confess to God his sinfulness in the midst of God's holiness, says in Isaiah 6.5, Woe to me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We must not fool ourselves to think that our words are minor. They're big. And they're not just momentary or surfacy. They, they do deep, lasting work. No scripture, um, maybe is more clear about this in, in the depth of it than what Jesus says in Luke 6.45. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This means our words are not just a small thing. Instead, they tell on our hearts. If so, if we have true faith in God, that faith will show itself with our words. And you can't say, hey, I'm devoted to Christ, I belong to Christ, but my words are full of deception. See with me that if this is you, you're simply lying to yourself. You bought into your own lie. That your heart can be good, your words can be foul, and somehow that's okay. Proverbs 13.3, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. We must see how potent our words are, and therefore how hurtful our lies are. Our dishonesty tears down relationships. It tears down churches. Tears, wreaks havoc on families. We must see how potent our words are and therefore how hurtful our lies are. Consider with me the atmosphere that we are a part of when we participate in lie telling. I'll use something we all know well if you live here in Bakersfield. If you're just visiting, welcome. Um, one of the unique things about our great city, 8th largest city in California, 52nd largest city in the United States of America, is that we have the worst air quality in America. Number one. We're number one. <laughs> it's so bad that there are many days where you can see it. There are days where you can taste it. That's nasty. But we've become accustomed to it in such a way that lying is so normal in our culture that it fills the air in a toxic way. But it's very normal. It's very acceptable. What can't happen is for the church to be part of that air quality. Instead, we must breathe a different kind of air with our truth-telling, so much so that it's observed as really different, so much so that it changes the atmosphere of the home, the neighborhood, the workplace, wherever we might find ourselves. 
Our daily ongoing testimony is to point others to Christ and His saving gospel. This is revealed in how we speak. We don't lie to manipulate or remove our consequences. We tell the truth, no matter the cost, so that that testimony is at work in the midst of a culture that desperately needs it. Point to Christ, ultimately. That the dark smog of deception would be lifted and people would begin to see real transformation and change because of the gospel at work in your lives, in our lives together. Paul's about to demand a different kind of practice than falsehood, a behavior that Christians are to practice. But we can't do this by mere moral conformity. You won't stay with it if you force it. It has to be based on an internal transformation that is happening in who we are in Christ. Uh, the work he's done. And so, and so Paul alludes to this, that we've put away falsehood, and so let's speak the truth with our neighbor. See his emphasis here, what's behind this. See the transformation that God has done in us, and then how we should respond appropriately. A great visual to this is the testimony of Lazarus. Okay, Jesus, good friend Lazarus, it was in the grave. Four days before Jesus, eternal Son of God, would resurrect him from the grave back to life. Four days for a human corpse to rot in the grave is not a short time. I mean, just do four days without showering and you hardly tolerate yourself. I mean, he's rotting in the grave. I mean, the, the, the smell of the non-functioning body, the ways that the chemicals broken down go to work. I mean, he smells wretched. As he emerges from the grave as a living person, his grave clothes are simply not appropriate anymore, are they? It would make zero sense for him to go out to dinner that night in his grave clothes. Can you imagine? You clear the whole place. They were good for him when he was in the grave, appropriate, when he was a corpse. But they are not appropriate for him now that he is a living person. Paul's point is that you have to put away your grave clothes and be done with them. That the clothes that belong to your former dead, sinful life. And you need to put on your wedding clothes. Because you are now a part of the wedding supper of the Lamb. What a difference, church. Let's act like members of the wedding party and no longer like corpses rotting in the grave. See our testimony in this church that we put away lying and now we tell the truth. We need to see our old self as truly our old self so that we don't foolishly wake up and think that somehow it will benefit me today to put on these old clothes and go about my day. 
What does Paul say we should do instead? Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. It's an imperative command from God that He's given us from the beginning. Truth-telling is one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20.16, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. God's Word is clear. We see it elsewhere in Scripture. Zechariah 8, 16-17, These are the things you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Church, remember with me just a few verses back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, Jesus Christ. This is in opposition to what he said in verse 14. That we are no longer to be like children tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, we who belong to Christ are to speak truth. To fight for biblical truth, not the traditions of our church upbringing, not the opinions of man or speakers we love. No, biblical truth. For it is truth alone. False doctrine, sinful worldly ideologies are lies. God's Word is truth. Sound doctrine according to the Word of God is truth. It's not okay to believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. No, no, no. If we belong to Jesus, then we believe what His Word teaches us and call it true. Paul says later in Ephesians 4.21, the truth is in Jesus. Jesus said of Himself in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I've said for many years, the, the bumper sticker, um, coexist, works great when you remove the T. The T representing Christ, Christianity, all of it coexists as lies, as deception. In man's deception, they've tried to include Christ. They've tried to believe something that Jesus is somehow good with this coexistence. No, no, Jesus himself said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Therefore, all these other man-made religions and man-made philosophies are lies, are man-made deceptions. So they just need to understand the Bible a little more, what Jesus actually said. Don't, don't get caught like cutting the tea off those bumper stickers. You, you might actually scratch the paint, <laughs> and then you might have to serve some time in jail or... We can just share truth with them. And and pray for them. Why? Because they're caught up in deception and lies. And people say, well, who are you to say that's wrong and this is right? Yeah, I'm nobody. Um, But who is God? He's truth. He's creator. We are His creation. 
Woe is the created man who says to the creator, it should be different. The clay says to the molder, I should be different. When Jesus says to the church, I am the truth, that's revolutionary. That's the flag we fly. The truth. We finally know true north. It's in Christ alone. We who belong to Christ can finally live and speak truth. We, we who belong to Christ must live and speak truth. And all we do, it, it should be our testimony. Even when it's painful. Even when it doesn't mean that on the horizontal we're going to get or get to keep what we love. Because I will not exchange that thing for the Lord. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Who is your neighbor? It's those that God's put around you. On one level, it's your actual neighbors in your neighborhood. And the cubicle, those who work in the cubicle next to you and the rig next to you. It's, it's those who shop at your local grocery store. Those who you do commerce with day in and day out. Christian, is your testimony among these people one of truth-telling? Do you rest in who you are in Christ so that you feel no need to twist or manipulate or tell another story to fulfill the moment in the way you want to keep it? You're not going to lie on the form. If, if that client says that they want you to, then you won't. and You'll need to let them go find a different company. I had a friend share with me and and a a brother in Christ a a sweet moment of just confession as we were working through some things and he just really the light came on. He said, man, I really failed this co-worker recently when he, we, we did a lot of this journey in our careers together and we had aspirations to climb this ladder and become these certain kinds of successes and authorities within this company and and that co-worker said, to my friend, why are you not pursuing that like you once did, like we kind of were committed to doing together? And the reason why was because in my friend, he, he has new priorities for his days and doesn't, isn't committed to overworking like he once was to climb that ladder. And there's a new value to try to minister to his family and be active in the church. And, and there's a new way of looking at money where he sees that he's not going to live to work have a big bank account that he can't spend and these real adjustments that were needed in him really so that Christ is king and he's found satisfaction in the Lord instead of in these things but he didn't tell the coworker any of that told the coworker what he thought the coworker would want to hear because it would keep that thing happy and kind of like not be weird and in some ways reveal where he's still kind of stuck Maybe climbing the ladder a little bit. See it? And in that, what is it? He threw away his opportunity to do what? Shine the light of Christ. Share satisfaction in Jesus compared to all this nonsense we're chasing. Put his light under the basket and kept it there. So praise God in this. I know this story because he was confessing to go like, I really missed this. I don't want to be guilty of that moving forward. I want my testimony to be different. And so there's this real growth and maturity to see that. Get after that in a different way. 
See with me, church, that the testimony of Christ crucified and raised is why we're here today. And if God gives you tomorrow, it's why you'll live tomorrow, is that testimony. Why? Because we're not here to build our own kingdoms. Everything you build, all the, all the clout you gain in your company, in your profession, all the advances you make, is going to burn. It, it, it's going to have its end. It's all a means to do the thing we're here to do, which is share Jesus. So we need to not let that stuff become why we wake up and what we do. We, we still steward those things in such a way where we get to make much of Christ. And we look less at our marriage as being the purpose of it for, for love and romance. And No, that's not the purpose. Not according to Scripture. Your marriage according to Scripture, according to God's Word. The ultimate purpose of that marriage is to put on display the covenant love of God for His redeemed people. You, It's in Ephesians 5. We're going to get there eventually in our sermon series. You can go, you can skip ahead and read it. Verse 32, purpose, definition of marriage followed by Paul saying it's about Christ and his bride. It's, it's a creation way for us to point to the most important thing, the most important marriage. We must be so confident in who we are in Christ that we don't look to appease man we don't look to sell out to go up the corporate ladder. We, we don't avoid adversity. We tell the truth about Christ. And we say it loud. We must be confident who we are in Christ. And so we're free to be honest, despite how it might cause hardship, persecution, struggle. Are we okay with these realities? Is Christ enough in your life? All you need. Who is our neighbor? It's also the church, the household of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And with this in mind, Paul circles to the last part of the verse. Look with me. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Everyone belongs to a family. Everyone, the orphan who never knew their mom and dad, has a family. Why? Because they weren't born by a rock. There's a mom and dad. You might have never met your birth parents, still have a family. You might not know your history or heritage. Maybe you were adopted. That's a family in the greatest, sweetest way. I've adopted two little girls that are my daughters in every way that my birth daughter is. Praise God that we were adopted, we who trusted Christ, that were adopted into His family. Adoption is not second rate. It's God's perfect plan for us to be His. This is good news. When we have a full and right understanding of our families, Especially of understanding our former family and our new family. What do I mean by that? I'm not talking about a family tree that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, not the physical family. I'm talking about one of two spiritual families. 
Every person belongs to one of two spiritual families. Scripture is clear. You either belong to the devil's family or to God the Father's family. Jesus himself said to some standing in front of him who claimed to love God, but he knew they didn't. He said this in John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Wow, that's, those are big words. I mean, that's a grand statement that the hearers probably were quick in their flesh to want to reject. They're not talking about me. I mean, let me make it more personal to us. You in the room belong to God's family because you belong to Christ or you belong to the devil. And people are like, why? man, that can't be true. Like, I'm, I'm, I know I'm screwed up. I ain't that wicked. Like, maybe that's true of Satanists who choose to, like, worship the devil. But we need to understand that's not extreme. It, we need to see that to be a son or daughter of the devil is normal. It's common. It is not out in the margins of the culture. It's in the dead center of it. You belong to one of two families. Your spiritual father is the devil or your spiritual father is God. This is what God's word teaches. You belong to one or the other. Your physical family who have not submitted to Christ... They're not doing okay if they have a good job, if they're healthy, if they drive a nice car, if they go on lots of vacations. No, no, they belong to the devil. Scripture is clear. And their will is to do their father's desires. They claim allegiance to God, those who stand before Jesus when he said this, with their mouths, but their lives, their hearts were far from him. They proved by how they lived the lies they told. Lying is not the ways of Christ. It's the ways of the father of lies, the great deceiver. Scripture speaks of this elsewhere. And before I read this, I want to just ask a tough question. What family do you reveal yourself to be part of by the fact that you tell the truth or you tell lies? 1 John 3, 8-10, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Church, you cannot make a little thing of lying. It's telling on your heart. If you are truly belonging to God and you see that you're guilty of practicing lying, you will do what Scripture says you must do, what a true Christian will do. You will confess it and you will turn from it. You will not justify it, continue in it, and find a way to go forward. If that is you, you prove to not be of 
God the Father, but of the Father of lies. You prove to have what Scripture would define as superficial faith, not saving faith. Why would we be so bold to go back to someone and confess that we lied when that's going to create problems in our life? Why would we ask for the consequences that come with confessing a lie? Because I want no part of allegiance to the devil's family. That's why. Because I want to honor God. Because I belong to God. But in this is good news. Because you might be sitting here going, I, I have not trusted Jesus. You're saying I belong to the devil and all I know is sin. The scripture is clear. This is who you are. You're an enslaved sinner. Guilty and do God's righteous wrath for your sin. But the testimony of Holy Scripture is that God has many whom He's chosen to set free. John 8.36, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The Gospel of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the hope that is Jesus, is new life. Forgiveness, because He paid for our sin, our lies. He took that on in our place. The debt was paid so that we could be forgiven. But that doesn't mean you just have like a way out of hell. That means now you belong to God. You live for God. If you think I said a prayer so I'm not going to hell, but your life is not for the glory of God, I would argue what you did was something religious, not something saving. Saving faith is not an incantation. It's not words you repeat. And that's all you got to do is, is wave these words around. No, no. You're saved when you really see your sin and you confess it before God and you see that you are desperate for a Savior alone to make you new. And in that, you want to not be the Lord of your own life anymore. You want Him to be the Lord of your life. And so you obey Him and you follow Him and you grow in Him. That's salvation. That's new birth. And it is sweet. Colossians 1.13 For He, God the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Son. He loves, in whom we have redemption. We have forgiveness of sin. Some of you are going, I can't confess the lie. What do, I mean, it will bury me. No, no. In Christ, you're forgiven. And in the relationships you have with other Christians, you will be forgiven. If you see clearly today that you belong to the devil, that you have not trusted your life to Jesus, but God is giving you ears to hear and eyes to see today, the command of Scripture is that you would repent and believe and be saved. Confess your sin before God and trust your life to Jesus, that you would share that with us so that we could come along you as a new Christian. You know what's sweet about the recent reformation of this historic church in the last 10 years? We've had many people who have been in the church for 50 years. And finally got saved. They, they had religion through and through. They practiced it well. They didn't belong to Jesus yet. By God's grace, he's saving many. And some of that could be you. I'm hearing the gospel. I'm understanding these truths in a way I never have. I want to grow in that. 
We want to walk with you. It's our joy to do that. Some of you are just going, maybe I'm not there, but I, I see the wickedness. I see my path. And lean in and ask for counsel. Let us continue to point you to the truth of God. Trust his perfect time, if it be his will, to give you saving faith. There's no other self-help program or get-out-of-jail program or new hobby you would pick up that will ever match what that is in your life. So keep coming. Keep asking questions. Do you want to know truth? Do you want to walk in truth? You need Jesus, who is truth. The good news is, church, we have a new family. We no longer belong to the old family. Our father is no longer the devil. We've been saved. We belong to God. John 1.12, But to all who did receive him, he, who believed in his name, trusted their lives to the power and work of God, Jesus Christ, he gave the right to become children of God. Church, you are a new creation in Christ. Therefore, you're no longer enslaved to your old ways in the flesh. You're free to live for God. You have a new family, God's family, with new affections and new power. And so let us speak truth and live in truth and fight for truth. And maybe part of where you're at, Christian, today is you're going, man, I, I've, I've found my way to practice some lying and I need to be accountable. I want to confess that. I want help to be really accountable to putting it away. And so lean into your family to do that. We're members of one another. Do you see that your sin doesn't just affect you? It's affecting us too. And so let us help. Let us walk with you. Let us pursue Christ together as we're meant to be. That's happening in our church in amazing ways. Praise God. We're one body. He is the head. And in that body, we love each other. So the right hand doesn't lie to the left. We deal honestly with each other because we're members of one another in the body of Christ. If you belong to Jesus, don't keep your sin and lies to yourself. Bring them into the light. Confess them. Bring around brothers and sisters to hold you accountable to honor God, to walk with you through the struggles of the consequences that might come. Albert Barnes once said, We belong to one body, the church, which is the body of Christ. The idea is that falsehood tends to loosen the bonds of brotherhood. In the human body, harmony is observed. The eye never deceives the hand or the hand to the foot, the heart to the lungs. The whole moves harmoniously as if the one could put the utmost confidence in the other. Therefore, falsehood in the church is as ruinous to its interest as it would be to the body if one member were perpetually practicing a deception to another. Let's fight for each other. Let's love each other by dealing with this sin and confessing it and moving out of these practices. We must tell the truth to each other. So I ask you, as we move to close, are you all about the truth? Truth in love? Truth in Christ? The truth of God's Word? Truth that combats lies? Truth that combats fleshly feelings and preferences? Truth that combats self-serving idol-worshipping and the priorities of our flesh? By way of accountability, let me ask you, if the Holy Spirit is revealing to you this morning that you have lied, you must repent of it. Confess it to God. Bring around trusted brothers and sisters you can share.
so they can walk with you, hold you accountable. You can't justify it and you can't excuse it. And to say that the consequences that would come from confessing are too much is to continue in the lie yourself. Are there things that you are continuing in that are not true? You, you're guilty of wearing a mask? Maybe this is done believing that it's for your best or others' best. So we deceive ourselves in that. We must honor God and trust what God says is good and right and true. Practice it. We have a rad testimony I want to share with you. I got permission from this family. Um, that where I got to see this firsthand in the most amazing way. Um, Mike and Marissa Alviso is precious, loved, dear brother and sister in our church. And uh, you've heard their testimony. They shared it with you months ago. And um, Mike coming out of gang life and running the streets and hurting drugs and women. And Marissa living for a flesh and not knowing what it is to honor God. And Mike spent some real time in jail and through, through that and leading up to that and they end up having kids and those kids didn't know their dad in their early years because he's serving time in jail. He got out and started trying to do better and by God's grace eventually brought him to our church and hear the gospel and they both got saved. And God's growing this family. And in that growing, in that maturing, came a conviction that there's been a lie that's been told in this family that needed to be repented of. And it was going to be hard. And that lie was that their two oldest kids, Adrian and Sadie, were conceived of a different man. They didn't know that. They've always thought that Mike was their dad by birth. Here's what makes that a challenge. Mike is their dad. He's raised them. He's loved them. He's poured into them. And so you can see the scary crossroads that's before them now. We tell our teenage kids that I'm not your birth dad. Do they reject me? Do they say forget it? I totally broke down first hour. I'm not going to do it this hour. So they sought out counsel, and we prayed, and we met. And we helped them get ready to have a huge crossroad moment in their lives with their kids. And we prayed, and we waited for the call back. And by God's grace, it was sweet. They said, we forgive you for lying to us all this time. And we love you. You're our dad. Thank you for loving us like you do. That's a sweet gift. And their truth-telling doesn't necessarily earn that. Do you realize that? Could have gone another way. They could be on a whole different road for a lot of years. But uh, they, they too, Sadie and Adrian were in here first hour. I got the permission to share with the whole church. A lot of us know, but now you all know. And they're growing. Pray for their faith and journey. And God's doing awesome stuff. Was that scary? Yeah. Was that hard? Yeah. Is it good and God-honoring? Yeah. And is it rad to not have the lie told anymore? Yeah. They'll be quick to tell you. Yeah. Right. 
If God is showing you lies that you've told or you continue to live in, it's time to repent. It's just that simple. You need to confess it and speak what is true. You need to trust what happens to the Lord. Why would you do that? Because Jesus is enough. Because you don't also need your circumstances or your life or your marriage or your job or your money to go a certain way to be happy. Because Jesus is enough. If you're on the receiving end of someone telling you something hard as a result of the Holy Spirit's work in us today, or maybe later in another circumstance, someone confesses a lie that you feel very betrayed by, Christian, hear me clearly, you need to forgive them. It might take a moment, it might be hard, there might need to be some counsel, all right, but you need to forgive them. Why? Because who are you? to be forgiven by the holy God of all of your sin because of the blood of Jesus and then somehow self-righteously say, no, I'm going to keep this person's sin against them. You can't. Scripture goes so far to say, if you've been forgiven by God, you must forgive or maybe prove to not belong to God, not understand the very gospel that you've been given. So let us practice forgiveness and the healing that begins. Can I just point out, the healing never starts until the lie is exposed. So we start there, and then the healing happens. And it is happening in marriages, in friendships. I had one of our sisters in Christ who was older walk out of a sermon similar to this one day and went and wrote her brother, who she hadn't talked to in 30 years, And they reconciled their relationship. One letter, one sermon, one move of God to bring conviction, to do what was right, and the Lord set the pace. I also know many people reached out to do that and they never heard back. But they still honor the Lord, right? Let us tell the truth. Let us confess the lie. Let us trust God. This is how we live as one in Christ. Not with a false sense of unity built around lies by living, but living in the truth and honoring God no matter what it costs or means. We do this because we have Jesus. Because Jesus is enough. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time in your holy word. It's such a blessing to spend this time in your word. To see the richness, the fullness of all that you would have out of one verse of Holy Scripture. All that you're doing in us, the layers, the the building on these truths, the the fighting against the temptation of sin to, to continue to see who we aren't and who we are in Christ and to respond with faith, to respond trusting you, to respond with what honors you. Lord, I pray that none in this room would be guilty of being hearers only today. They were great in their listening. But your word is clear to say that's not enough. We must be doers of the word. So let there be action to the conviction. Repentance to what we are shown in the Holy Spirit is missing. Practice that honors you and reveals who we truly belong to and love. Hear us as we worship you, as we celebrate this truth, that you are truth, worthy of all of our lives. 
be, be praised and honored in Jesus' name.